You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Urban Bucht, the CEO at Hypergy. One of the key areas that you really need to understand is how is the customer getting value of the service that you provide to them. Hello there, and welcome back to another podcast episode here with Thomas and Daniel from SAS Nordic. Hope you're having a good day and, uh, well, Daniel, how are you today? Very good. And I like how your intros are changing every time. Like, we, there's no... Go- <laughs> no plan. <laughs> there's no go-to intros. Like sometimes it's hello, sometimes it's straight into it. I like it. But thanks for asking. I'm doing really well. Uh, looking forward to the episode that's ahead of us here, but also a lot of work, fun work with the event that we have ahead of us, right? Absolutely. So that's basically, you know, looking at the year, probably the peak for us, it is the peak for us work-wise to, to have the sassiest event um, now in April 18th to 19th in, in Malmö, Sweden, which is, I would say, a premium event for everyone working within B2B SaaS. So, uh, Ind- indeed. 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 And I, I, I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. So essentially, what Q4 is for most of our listeners, that is Q1 for us. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to the event, but also looking forward to the post-event time in May when we can sort of have a little bit of um, yeah, breathing room before starting planning the next one more or less. Uh, okay, so enough about that. If you haven't already get your ticket, you should have head over to sassiest2023.com. Um, we will be sold out, so uh, hope to see you there anyway. And... Um, Anything more before we go into the interview, Daniel? No, let's just jump right into it. Let's do it. Today, we are super happy to have Urban Buch, the CEO at Hypergene, here as a guest in the SAS Nordic podcast. So welcome, Urban. Glad to have you. Thank you, Thomas. Um, good to be here. It's really great to have you here, Urban. And we have the pleasure, obviously, to know you a little bit uh, from the past. You've, you've been part of our networks and now a member of the CEO network. But for the ones that might not know you, who is Urban? Yeah, so uh, thank you, Daniel. And uh, yes, Urban Bukt, uh, um, been around in the SaaS industry in the last 10 years, um, we could say. And um, the first five out of them, I worked with sales and channel at Snow Software. And um, uh, which is a, a software company and SaaS company within uh, software asset management. Um, initially, it was a Swedish company. Now it's US based, and uh, uh, we had a tremendous growth journey where we took uh, the company from around uh, um, uh, just about 100 employees when I started up to 750 employees, and we tenfolded the revenue during that period of time. So that was um, um, a really interesting period. After that, I worked with at uh, Unifound, uh, which then were, after a while was rebranded as Nshift uh, in um, delivery management uh, software company um, uh, in uh, based in the Nordics. And we uh, merged with our largest competitor, etc. and group. 
And the last year I've been at uh, Hypeen and um, uh, working for it first as a chief sales and then moved into the CEO role last spring. And uh, other than that, uh, living in Stockholm, uh, enjoying the software uh, world and um, have a big passion for that. All right. So tell us more about Hypergene. What do you guys do? Yes, so Hypey and we are um, a company. We've been around since um, uh, early 2000, so it's a little bit more than 20 years old company. Um, it's um, uh, the the what we do is that we all about uh, enable better performance, so supporting organization to to perform better. And we do that through uh, corporate performance management and uh, um, a a tool for that. And then also we have um, uh, uh, lately acquired a company within product and uh, portfolio management. And um, through that, the the key uh, people that we address are the CFOs uh, and uh, business controllers, supporting them with the budgeting and forecasting, strategic planning, performance reporting, and then also the PMOs, project managers, portfolio managers with uh, our project and portfolio management tools. So that is uh, the business we are in, Okay. Uh, mainly in the Nordics. And uh, uh, now since we acquired this company called Proventis uh, in uh, Germany, we also uh, have 300 customers in the Dach region. Okay, so if I say you're a BI tool, am I wrong? (laughs) Yes, um, we started in that uh, area, so we... Um, uh, we uh, we can provide uh, BI tooling, okay, and that's where we started 20 years ago. But we have developed from that, and uh, we are not a competitor to Power BI, Click, etc. All right. So, uh, but who is the main customer? Of this you, you mentioned the personas, but are there certain type of businesses or industries or verticals that are more prone to your offerings to buy them? Yeah. So we. We, um, um, if you look into sort of the the the, the original hype in business uh, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 and exclude the portfolio and project management, uh, we are have around half of our customers in the public sector. Uh, we've been tremendously successful within municipalities, uh, higher education, and uh, uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. So that's been. Uh, one of the key growth areas for us, so, and um, and the rest is uh, uh, across a couple of segments within the private sector, including real estate, etc. But um, uh, we've seen the last years uh, a tremendous growth for us, uh, especially within municipalities. Okay. And um, in this um, economy that we see now, it's uh, it's actually a good space to be in. Yeah. Like finally doing business with the government is great because they have planned the budget for the next five years or so. Yes, so that that's <laughs> uh, and also they, it's a lot of requirements on them that they uh, um, that they need to um, plan for and follow up on, and uh, so it's a uh, it's been a growing trend to actually really invest in this area to be um, uh, to leverage on the long term and short term plans that they have. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's put some perspective on your business here. What can you tell us about your 
ARR, and I also know that you have sort of a, a consulting part. But could you could you talk about revenue ARR, how much you grow, number of customers, employees, and such? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, we are um, uh, just less than two hundred employees. Um, um, 175 uh, exactly i think it is and um, and um, uh, we are uh, out of that there is around 70 that is working in the consulting uh, part of the business uh, from a revenue perspective we are there's uh, uh, um, we have an um, arr on um, just uh, around uh, 175 million sec uh, where uh, and um, the total revenue uh, is uh, planned for in this year um, uh, around 300 million. Okay, yeah. So uh, current, I don't know the euro, but you know, 16 million euro something ARR at the moment. Yes. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit before what markets you're active with, but maybe you could come back to that uh, where where you actively sell and and have customers. Yeah. So then the. the uh, we are working. Uh, I would say that seventy percent of the customers are in, are in Sweden, and uh, then twenty five percent in Norway, and then uh, we have a small portion of customers uh, in various countries in the UK, in Finland, in Germany, in Switzerland. But uh, the the real sort of in where we have built up a uh, uh, stable business uh, is in Sweden and Norway. Okay. And how does the ownership look like um, at Hypergene? Yeah, so Hypergene has been um, owned by uh, Montero okay. uh, as a majority owner uh, since 2016. So we've been around with them as uh, for uh, by roughly then um, uh, six years. And um, they own uh, a little bit, uh, they are the majority owner and uh, around two thirds and the rest is the, some of the founders and the personnel. Okay. And uh, how much do you own them? Yeah, I have uh, been around for a year, so I have a small portion of the business, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, and of course have have had the, been fortunate enough so that I had the opportunity to invest a little bit. But uh, okay. from a percentage basis, it's not a big number. Okay, so it's not fair. Montero has so much more than you have, but yeah, maybe the ships will turn. I wish that was the other way around, but uh, yeah, that's not the case. Okay, next business, next business. All right. Cool. Thank you so much for, for putting that in perspective and sharing those numbers with us. And actually today we're going to talk to you about a, a couple of things that we, we know are, are close to your heart. And it's about pricing and it's about go-to-market, especially from an internal exercise. And if we start with, with the first one, you know, pricing, uh, we've just recently conducted a report where uh, pricing was a big thing and everybody wants to move into some kind of profitability. So, and the pricing element, like how do we maximize the value towards the customers and the revenue is such a big topic for everyone right now. Tell us a little bit, you know, if we start at the very top here, like how have you guys worked with pricing going into 2023? What have been your thoughts been here? Yeah, so... Like everyone, we are working actively with pricing uh, and really looking into it from a, that you drive a yearly indexation, but then also in terms of how do you uh, use pricing as a strategic lever to uh, 
drive your uh, growth strategy in terms of how do you adjust the pricing to maximize your opportunity to win and also to expand. And um, we are uh, in the middle of uh, uh, finalizing a project uh, where we are redoing the pricing. And um, depending on when this podcast is broad, uh, sent, um, we will have had launched the, the new pricing or not. So the, the plan is to launch it here in, uh, in, a, uh, in a couple of weeks in, um, uh, in mid-March. Okay, then it will be a race for the money then, because it will be somewhere around that when we <laughs> when we release this episode. Yeah, and and also then it's a, it's also important to remember where I think that there's been a difference where uh, when working with pricing at the company like Hypein, where you have a large share of public sector customers, where you have uh, fixed contracts, it's not you where that's signed on the paper of the customer. And you have done ten formal tenders, versus my previous experience when we could work with pricing, where we could drive it in a much more active way, and how you work with that on existing customers and new customers, etc. So it's you always need to have that in mind, and when you are when you have public customers, it then add, that, add additional complexity into how you can um, use that. Right. We're not going to let you off the hook this, this easily. So I think we have a, a handful of questions we would like to get your opinion on. So just to put, again, things in perspective, what is the pricing model that you're using today? Is it per seat, usage-based, or is it a one flat fee for the entire platform? Where do you guys start? Yeah, we currently have the pricing where it's a, it's a mix of uh, both um, what modules and also the number of users and also uh, and we're now looking into uh, simplify that and being a little bit more uh, uh, to the point in terms of what type of pricing for the different type of audiences that we address and what are the specific needs and and we as a company has come from being a software company with a large consulting business and the last couple of years develop our product and package it much more and made it more scalable, uh, cost efficient and also uh, easier to uh, manage and from the self-service perspective like all product companies. And now we are adopting the, adjusting the pricing to reflect that a lot more. So there will be, depending on uh, the specific use cases, um, a, a more uh, straightforward pricing. But I don't really want to sort of um, take the, uh, all the, the big um, launch out of the marketing team from this at, um, uh, now. Okay, but then, th then we can air this uh, a week later and you can tell us everything now. We don't want to steal their thunder. <laughs> so the, after March 23rd. Okay. Yeah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> the value that the customer perceives from our tool is really based on the modules and the number of users. Mm. And that is not going to change. Right. Because one of the key areas that you really need to understand is how do you, how, how is the customer, um, getting value of the service that you provide to them and you need to align the pricing with that and and sometimes that doesn't really 100% uh, resonate with what you as a uh, as a uh, company might want to 
grow your business. But in the end, you need to align with that. Otherwise, you end up in a situation where you um, have challenges either with landing or with expanding uh, your accounts. And then you need to have an alignment with that and really that in-depth understanding what drives value for the customer is key to uh, sort of build up the foundation of pricing. Right. Very obvious, but still an exercise to be done and not be moving into uh, the wrong direction. I've been in, a, in previously in, in a large pricing project where there were part of the drive was to more align the pricing with the costs. Right. And that wasn't very good. And we had external support and, uh, by consultants and that, and, uh, uh, and they went into that trap as well. Okay. Okay. So who would you say then should own this exercise internally? Like who is in charge? Because at some point, ultimately, there needs to be one woman or man yeah. that owns the pricing exercise. Who is that in your opinion? I think that the, uh, it, in alt- pricing is one of the key levers to growth. So uh, at some uh, some level, it needs to land on the CEO, and it but it needs to be um, uh, uh, a cross company initiative, and it's one of the key things that uh, to make it successful. And what I've seen before, and what we're using now, is the product team. They are managing the project, but it's really driven um, in uh, cooperation from sales to R and D to product to um, um, customer success so we're uh, together with uh, support from the finance team so it's really driven by that but obviously you need to have someone that has managed this process on, on an ongoing basis Okay, and then that, that really comes to one of the key things is that um, uh, the best recipe for failing with pricing is that you make it a project for one function of the organization okay so it's not uh, like a, a sales um, off-site uh, and then you come home with a new pricing and then you just uh, go no that is um, no. absolutely not the case and uh, and uh, and uh, you need to think of the pricing as one of the key growth levers mm. that you have as an organization you can work with price you work with new markets you work with new products you work with the uh, extension of existing uh, customers. So it's one of those levers that you have how you grow the company. Okay, cool. Do you have a product marketing function specifically that, that is uh, an important part of this? Or Yeah, so the, the product marketing function is um, uh, we have, um, uh, from uh, due to different reasons, we have that as part of working very closely with the product team. Okay. Um, and they it's one of those strategic capabilities that we recruited and um, uh, during the last summer. And um, uh, the Eric Telander is an excellent guy, making a little bit commercial for him, um, <laughs> that uh, is uh, very much engaged in this project. Okay. Okay, very interesting. And I think one of the things that, you know, people have discussed in the communities, one, who drives this initiative, but also like how frequently do we need to revisit? Like how do I know that maybe our pricing is off? Sometimes people feel like we've ran this pricing for three years and we have indexation. Why change it? It seems to work. 
Like, what's your thoughts there? Like, how often do we revisit this and why? Uh, of course, you need to revisit it continuously. But uh, uh, in terms of uh, that, you are um, um, have an in-depth understanding of your customer base and what are the changes that goes on there. And uh, it could be different depending on uh, if you're entering a new uh, segment, um, if you're entering a new market, what are the behaviors, what are the expectations, what is the competition that you're facing. So um, uh, that all of those things would need to be taken into consideration if it is the right time to uh, revisit your pricing. So I think it, it needs to be those things and not the specific timing that is um, uh, driving um, how you uh, look upon pricing. And is it feasible to believe that one can have different list prices at least for different markets or for different clusters? Or do you have one price list that is across the board? I would say that um, if you're a global company, then it's definitely needed because there is a different willingness to pay in different regions and re different geographies. And so that is absolutely needed if you're uh, uh, intent to be successful. And, um, but um, uh, of course, there is some level of global pricing that you need to maintain internally, but uh, it needs to meet the willingness to pay that you have in the different segments and markets. PR and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company. You want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time. My Newsdesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. My Newsdesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial. So you have worked a long time within sales, but we understand also that you often raise the importance of having a broad grip around the go-to-market process. So what's your experience in creating an efficient go-to-market process within a company? Um, it's a great question in terms of then, uh, and uh, just sort of bearing in mind that my primary experience and what are the type of companies that I've been uh, working in is mainly sales-driven growth. So, um, and, um, and uh, what I've seen in many of these companies, they started with sales. Yeah. So from a commercial perspective, they started with sales. And, and, and when you grow and when you need to scale and when you build, won your first customers and you want to really establish a go-to-market fit, then building out and aligning uh, all the functions is crucial of course and i usually try to uh, think of how we drive the customer journey and attract engage convert and um, how you can what's the responsibility what's the metrics and uh, how you do that across all of these three phases in the customer journey to a one contract and um, what you can see in many cases is that 
it's a very sequential. Yeah. So marketing is doing attract, SDR is doing engage, sales is doing convert. And that's one of the, from what I see, is one of the classical mistakes to uh, not get an aligned go-to-market because there's so many things that the different functions can do to support each other across this journey. Otherwise, it sounds very logical, very, you know... It is very logical and it's not rocket science, but it's about orchestrating that from an internal perspective that uh, you, uh, you really have the right... Um, measures and also you work with the conversions so that you can you measure people on the same type of success so so what does that mean what does that mean is that uh, because we've had this debate for i feel a decade now where marketeers are, are measured on you know mqls or at best sqls or how much is entered in the pipe and so so is the strs qualified leads or whatever you want to call it mm. but often those two groups have not been linked to the actual revenue. Their KPIs and their personal bonuses is not often linked to new ARR or upsell ARR. So is that the case in your world as well? or Partly, but I think that we, we're working hard on, and we're, uh, on uh, making sure that, uh, first of all, that uh, the, the, the level of MQL is aligned with what we want to achieve from a closed one in this year and what we need to build for the next year. Right. And um, uh, that's the first step so that you have an alignment on those metrics. But then you also need to sort of uh, measure the marketing team, what's sourced from them in terms of what you close. Right. So it's uh, so that you... Um, measure on the things that you directly can um, influence but also the the results that comes out of that because the success is built on closing new business from the go-to-market team so you need to have those types of measures uh, that uh, uh, you ensure that but uh, it's very tough to measure an SDR team on only on closed one businesses because you'd really want to have something that is closer to the actual activities that they are doing. Right. But how do you get these teams working together operationally? Obviously, the, uh, uh, one of the key um, areas is to um, make sure that you uh, can be data-driven, that you can uh, align both the processes, the tools, and the data that you measure the teams on. Okay. And um, uh, w- what we did this, for example, this year is that we... We built the strategy for the year. We didn't do that from a functional perspective. Uh, we we lifted that from uh, to go to market, to uh, product and and uh, uh, product and development, customer and success uh, perspective, where uh, the strategy wasn't built by the respective functions. So the uh, it was built jointly, uh, which created the. Um, from our uh, outcome was a much higher level of alignment between the functions. And then we can break it down into functional responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, it worked well for us. Uh, might not be a good recipe for others, but it it uh, it, it created a difference from, from our perspective to really get an alignment, alignment between the functions. Yeah. 
Yeah, because that, that's really a tricky thing. I'm going to be like super extreme here. Like I've historically personally always worked where like we've talked about the whether it's marketing and sales or the different divisions being close to each other and having the check-ins, building plans together. I think from my experience, my personal experience, and the biggest difficulty has been we've measured different things and we've been awarded for different things. If I would ever work for a SaaS company again, I would make sure that marketing and sales are measured on ARR. There might be other, you know, uh, objectives that are rewarded on the way to that. But I think aligning, from my perspective again, the main goal is the best way. But don't you have the same problem there that, you know, how much of the ARR should be attributed to the marketing versus the sales? Or should it just be the, the same target ARR that you're measured towards? I think it's the same target because then there's an interest for like, there's no handover okay. from, let's say, marketing. Because if we both have an interest in closing ARR, you will also support in the beginning of the sales cycle, in the middle and at the end, and after it was closed, because we all have the same interest, it is that increased revenue. And I'm simplifying things here a little bit, but I think it makes things a little bit easier. So suddenly, Daniel, you're not um, you're not pro individual bonuses. <laughs> <laughs> to some level, I agree, but then it's also um, it depend. For example, if you're measuring uh, the leaders of the functions on that, I think that makes absolutely sense. But when you it uh, from in many cases it can become a little bit distant from the day-to-day -day activities from one person in a department within marketing. Yeah, and this this I 100% agree with. For the individual contributor, you know, the SDR that is busting the phones, the AE that is closing the deal, absolutely. But if their managers, you know, your VP of sales and your VP of marketing, are both tied to that ARR goal. Mm. I think we can bet our butts on that they will make sure that their teams are collaborating. Absolutely. And, and I think that's um, um, uh, fully agree on that. But then it's, a, it's a important to differentiate how you measure the leaders and the individual contributors and the pe people in the teams. Yeah. Thomas, I see you're laughing. You're not agreeing? No, <laughs> it makes sense. It's just, you know, I've never been a leader for that kind of function. So... Um. <laughs> But makes sense. Yeah, and makes sense, and uh, and I think that that it's uh, uh, when looking into setting targets for a leadership team, it's super important that it's aligned on what are the things that we as a company need to achieve, and um, you shouldn't have big differences um, between the different leaders. They need to be successfully together. Yeah, but. Uh for a company that, that wants to to uh, succeed with this kind of approach with a go-to-market and make the teams aligned and, and working towards the same goals, do you have any, if you would, if you have three tips for someone that would like to pivot into this direction, what would that be? Obviously, one of the key first things is that um, you need to make sure that you have your measurements and what is success. Yeah. So that that is need to be defined across the different functions. You also need to um, uh, be clear on um, 
what are the roles between each of the departments what is the how do you drive the handoff handovers because the hand there is a, if you have a functional organization there will be some level of handovers for sure and it's usually at the handovers where things break down yeah and that needs to be very much aligned and uh, having a a well agree, a good agreed upon icp value framework or whatever we call it um, but that's uh, sort of given into that that you need to have that in place and i also seen that in many cases um, it's been very good um, to make sure that you have um, an aligned way of measuring in a tool uh, of course that's we are all tools driven uh, working in SaaS companies but uh, uh, we, I see in examples where you have um, uh, had uh, not very good alignment between the different functions of what tooling, what um, uh, so that uh, that is uh, crucial for success. Okay, great. That makes a, a lot of sense and, and much appreciated. And it's such a heavy exercise or difficult exercise to do, and something that you know should be done yeah. continuously and be checked upon. I think, at least in my opinion, in you know your regular Monday management meetings and so on, make sure that te teams are aligned. Hmm. Uh, if, if we, you know, go into from the go-to-market function uh, and look a little bit outside, I know you've also spent a lot of work thinking about partners and alliances and how you can leverage that to accelerate growth. It's a hot topic in our space right now. Hmm. Like, one of the most difficult things is, you know, is not to decide on should we do a partner program, is is how to get that airborne. Mm. What is your tips and, and advice there based on your experience? Yeah, and, um, and first of all, I think that uh, uh, partners is, uh, uh, it's not anything that's outside your go-to-market. It's it's one of the key elements of, of course, of the go-to-market. And um, uh, like pricing, um, it can't be a project. It needs to be something that is, uh, decision that you take as a company so that all functions are supporting that and um, uh, uh, and what i've seen in many cases where it haven't been flying is that you 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 have had it as a separate project for one part of the organization right and so it's really need to be built in into the strategy of the company so that uh, Everyone is behind it and how you work with that and uh, uh, do the necessary um, changes and uh, be working with partners because then in an investment from various functions. And where do you see that people, from your perspective, normally underdimension in their partner efforts? Is it that they don't build uh, the product to support the partner as well or is it that they don't? enable the salespeople or the partners where is this under dimension that it usually goes wrong i would say that that it usually uh, more frequently goes wrong into um, um, how you enable the partner um, from a technical perspective and from a product perspective you usually um, more, more i would say that more seldom you probably don't enable them from a sales perspective because it's so obvious. But on the other hand, um, uh, even though I see in a couple of cases, uh, it's not uh, really statistically reliable data, uh, number of data points, but uh, uh, that's what I see. And 
And I also, um, how you align with the customer journey from how you work with attract, engage, convert, onboard, extend, renew, what, who, who is doing what and who is doing what together with the partner and who is supporting and enabling the partner and who providing them with um, support in each of these stages uh, to be successful. All right. And also, uh, I think that there, is, it, um, you, there are so many partners around, different types of partners, and what is it that you really want to achieve working with the partner so that you set the value in the triangle between the customer, you, and the, uh, and the partner so that there's a benefit for each and everyone in this triangle that is needed uh, to be successful. Makes sense how you build the partner program out of that. All right. So if we would look into the crystal ball a little bit, what's in the future for Hypergene in the next two years? Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the, we acquired uh, Proventis in, um, in December, and that is, of course, it's two months since then now. So that is uh, very much something that uh, we are working hard on to drive cross-sales in the Nordics and looking into what is the what that can help us into the DACH market where Proventis, they have around 300 customers in that region. So that very obviously one of the key initiatives that we have, uh, how we can uh, expand into that region. All right, cool. And, and now you are in front of uh, many interesting people here listening to the podcast within the SaaS industry. So if you would like to do a shout out, is there anything that you're looking for? Um, anyone that you wish would contact you and um, and serve something on a silver plate, what would that be? If someone um, had an in-depth understanding of the DAC market for corporate performance management, that would definitely be something um, uh, a good dinner or lunch to, to be had and discussed over. So that uh, would be highly appreciated. And uh, what is the best way of getting hold of you? Pinging me on uh, email, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me. Okay, fine. And um, who could we find and put on the show here that would uh, sort of make you want to listen to another podcast? Yeah, I am. Um, I thought about that uh, earlier and um, and the uh, guy that I learned tremendously a uh, lot from uh, was uh, when I worked with Marlin Equities as a private equity firm. It's a guy called AJ Gandhi. Uh, it's one of the go-to-market experts they have in their team. He's um, uh, extremely knowledgeable. Uh, very, very good at uh, providing expertise and guidance uh, in a uh, very nice way. So I think that's a recommendation for to have on this podcast. We're going to shoot that back right at you. So like we'd love an intro to AJ. You have that in the mail. Okay. <laughs> very soon. That's fantastic. Excellent. Urban, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on the show. This This was great. And again... We appreciate you taking the time here and being a member of our network. And I know that you particularly can't come to the Sassiest event, but I know that a bunch of your colleagues will be there. So we'll all stay in touch here. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Thomas. Have a great day. 
Okay, Daniel, what's your main takeaway from this episode? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, lots of interesting stuff, and I think it's 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 the million dollar question. Uh, tell me a company that doesn't have alignment issues between the different departments. Uh, and I liked what Urban said that instead of having maybe the different functional leaders decide the, the goals and the strategy for the year, they disregarded the different functions and started looking at, okay, just as a company, what is, what is it that we want to do? How do we want to do it? What is it that we want to accomplish? And start breaking it down there to make sure that it's tied in together. And I know everybody says they do this, but, but I know that they also don't do it successfully, many people. So start with who are we as a company? What is it we need to accomplish 2023? And then start breaking that down into plans, objectives for the different functions. I think that's that's what I, it was good to hear that again. Yeah. That's what I'm taking with me. What about you, Thomas? Well, you know, I've heard quite a lot lately, the last half year, that marketing should be measured on ARR. That is right. That is correct. Yeah. Now <laughs> I realize that it's the sales leader and the marketing leader that should be measured on ARR, not the individual people that are also might need to have their bonuses or their salary connected a little bit more closer to what they do on an everyday basis. Right. There, there needs to be some rewards for the individual contributors along the journey. Or does it? I just want to let me put it out there. I'm still a firm believer that commission plays a role. All right, let's leave it hanging. And uh, good, I think that was that from, from my side. And um, if you're still with us, happy that you um, have listened to the episode so far. Uh, I hope that we get the opportunity to meet you soon, maybe at Sassiest 2023 in Malmo or anytime else. We are doing some meetups probably when this aired. We have been in Estonia and we have been in Copenhagen. But uh, we will continue doing local meetups all over the Nordics um, during the, the rest of the year. The new Nordics, which includes the Baltics. Yeah, we heard the expression new Nordics. I kind of like it. Yeah, but I think we, we need to sort of vet that with, with the Baltics, that they also think that <laughs> new Nordics is, is a good thing. Maybe we are the new Baltics. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But, uh, but anyway, uh, we will also for sure do some meetups, I think, before the summer. Um, who knows where? If you have a suggestion, you can reach out. And also, if you have a suggestion to uh, someone that you would like to see on the podcast, reach out. Uh, yeah, or basically anything else, you know, we are here supporting the, the SaaS community. That's what we do. And um, yeah, hope to see you around. We're really looking forward to it. So take care, everyone, and see you soon. 